Hi, I'm Sunny Dean. And I'm Scott Drakeford. And this is the Publishing Radio Podcast. In 2022, we both launched debut novels in the same genre with the same publisher in the same year. But despite having very similar starts, our books and subsequently each of our careers went in very different directions. That pattern repeats itself throughout the industry over and over. Why do some books succeed while others seem to be dead on arrival? In this podcast, we aim to answer those questions and many more, along with how to build and maintain an author career. Everyone signing a contract deserves to know what they're really signing up for. In an industry that loves its secrets, we'll be sharing real details from real people. We'll cover the gamut of life as a big five published author, from agents to publishing contracts, finances, and more. Okay, I need to stop drinking or we will not get through this. Now, I'll just do some kind of lazy intro. We we started this podcast with the premise of looking at how our different book deals set us on different paths in publishing, even though we had the same publisher genre debut year. And since then, we've had a good group of guests come and talk to us about their knowledge, their experience, with more on the way who we're all looking forward to talking to. But now that we have ourselves a bit more information, we're going to drill down and actually talk about what this past have translated to in terms of sales. So this is a fun and scary episode. Uh, we're going to focus on the months surrounding each of our launch dates because I want listeners to maybe have a really holistic understanding of all the different factors in play. Uh, and that means looking at what pubs aren't or aren't are or are not doing what we were weren't doing and looking at the damage i.e the hard sales data in those early months so caveat i don't have my royalty statement i've just got some sales figures from an editor but we'll look at that anyway yeah and just as a starting point we've got some listener questions on sales marketing and promotion and what makes the difference and i wasn't going to get into that a whole lot because we've got like three different people coming on in the next few months someone who's worked in publicity from the publisher side someone who's worked in publicity from the media side and someone who did a whole PhD on marketing and sales in publishing so their answers will be more informed than us but we can address the one thing that we think made a lot of difference that we definitely saw and that's ARCs and also tied into that Goodreads influencers and trade reviews so I was going to start by addressing those in the context of our launch months and why I think they made a difference. So just for a recap, in case other people haven't listened to other episodes, uh, feel free to talk about your ARC experience, Scott. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm trying to, re- to remember what I said in episode one, to be honest with you, in our, you know, in our first discussion. Something along the lines of Tor saying, we're not doing ARCs anymore. Yes. And you said... Yes, they did say that. (laughs) Well, so the context I'll give is that along the way, and and I took, you know, quite a while between signing and and finally debuting, and and I think we went over all that. In the lead up, I I tried to do some interesting things, and this is on my mind because of the whole Brandon Sanderson thing that's Mm. swirling around and, and, you know, the quotes in whatever nicer publication did an interview with him where Sanderson basically says, you know, publishers, they just do what they're going to do. And they don't, they don't listen to even Sanderson when he says, Hey, I want to do X, Y, Z different things. Well, I, I tried a few different things when I was launching to try to, you know, maybe punch above my weight of, of the deal that I signed. Cause I realized that I signed a small deal, but I was still hoping to get, you know, a fair shot at, 
at selling well and having a real career in writing. So one thing I tried to do was I tried to give 2% of my royalties, kind of like you would with an, an agent at 15%, but I tried to offer like a 2 to 3%, just, just a small little bit, but hopefully meaningful and try to start a trend there. Tried to give that to my editor, and they said, we don't do that and it was just shut down pretty immediately i right before launch i asked if i could give back all of my advance that i had gotten on signing and put all of my future advance contractually toward marketing uh, at the time i i i had a pretty lucrative career going of my own uh, mm -hmm. which I'm not currently doing, um, which is something we can get into later. But I said, hey, I, I'd love to just put my entire advance into marketing, especially if you guys would, you know, put some kicker into it since I'm foregoing all advance or I'd be willing to forego all advance. And they said, no, we don't do that. <laughs> so they just said no. <laughs> then when it came time to uh, launch, finally launch, right? So I had been, my date had been moved two, three, four times, something like that. And it was around Christmas time, maybe November in uh, 2021. And I, my book was due to come out in 2022. Original date was June, uh, January 25th. It got moved to February 8th. I said, Hey, like, ooh, I'm, I, I'm given to understand that, you know, there's like a marketing meeting that is supposed to happen. And maybe it was in October. I can't remember, but you know, me being the person I am, I'm like, what are we doing? Let, let's get this going. Uh, I want to know everything about our plans. I want to help. I want to be proactive. I want to, you know, I want to, I want to do something to, to, to try to be successful with this. I've put thousands of hours, years of my life into writing this and, and more hope than I should have. Right. Which is probably the bigger thing. And there, it just was like, oh, we don't have definite plans. Oh, we don't have definite plans. And then eventually there was, oh, here's your marketing people say hello. And it was just an email. <laughs> and it was, it was, you know, my publicist that had been assigned who then kicked it off to another publicist and the marketing person, which by the way, shout out, Rachel, you are a very big bright spot at Tor. I and everybody that's worked with you greatly appreciates you. She runs the Tor social media and blog. So like the Tor Forge blog and does most of the, the marketing stuff that I see at least. So anyway, I was like, okay, when do we get arcs, right? Cause I, I knew about arcs and I, I had seen, and I tried to, tried to learn on my own as best I could what, what publishers were doing for, for authors that went well. And that seemed to be a big thing. It was at this very same time. And so Richard Swan and I published right about the same time, right? And Orbit did a hundred special edition arcs, like signed and, and numbered for him. And I saw those going out to the same people that I was trying to send e-arcs to because all I got from Tor was, oh, we sent out some e-arcs to trade and a few reviewers and we cast a wide net. Phrases like that that just don't mean anything and, and I couldn't get definite names. So I tried to send out e-arcs the best I could. But yeah, so Richard had those coming out and I didn't know him well at the time. And then I saw, you know, just regular arcs of his coming out, you know, just surfacing on social media wherever else at the same time and i was like damn they're doing a really good job with him that's really awesome so i'm trying to follow up on you know getting arcs for my book and i get the answer back that oh we're not doing arcs anymore uh that you know people aren't in their offices to receive arcs and this is at the end of 2021 right and early 2022 and I'm like, uh, I know for a fact <laughs> that's not the case, right? Like, 
I looked up and I didn't argue, you know, there, 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 were, there wasn't a whole, a whole lot of point in arguing, but like I looked up every single other tour book coming out at the same time. They all had arcs. I looked up every other debut coming out at the same time. They all had arcs, uh, physical arcs, advanced reader copies. That was about when I knew that I was in trouble. I panicked quite a bit and I talked to my agent about hiring my own publicist. You know, Matt Bialer, my agent, was like, I generally don't, you know, I, he, he doesn't recommend it is what he told me basically. But he said, if you're determined to do it, I'll do my best to help you find the best one. And he gave me a recommendation of one that I actually didn't end up going with because they wanted like 16 grand for a two or three month commitment. Jesus, mm -hmm. sorry. <laughs> they actually have a lot of sci-fi and fantasy clients that sign up for that that firm. And they're pretty good ex-industry people, so like ex-tour and other. And I, I didn't end up going with them, but I almost wish I had, even though it's expensive. It's, expensive but anyway i didn't go with them because i i got a recommendation for somebody who was kind of just doing it on the side had recently left the industry they had been at two different sci-fi and fantasy imprints in the u.s mm -hmm. doing publicity on some really big books that punched above their weight in terms of what they you know what they had been allotted from the from the get-go and what they eventually did in the market and so i thought okay that's great. And they were doing it on the side, just getting started. So they were half the cost of the other. So eight grand. And I was like, okay, that sucks. But like, I've been paid a little bit more than that. You know, I, this is basically me doing what I had asked to do through tour me, basically putting my entire advance for the first book, at least uh, post-tax advance into trying to make it successful because I knew that, you know, you, you take 30 grand uh, for three books and uh, you know that's not going to move the needle and you're going to have to weigh out earn and, and this just has to be the start of your career. That publicist, uh, and I'm not mentioning their name on purpose just because, you know, I, I don't want it to seem like I'm throwing them under the bus because I do think they were well-intentioned and I do think they tried with, with quite a few different things. They set up a few things that I honestly could have probably set up myself in terms of like blog uh, guest posts. So like the Scalzi guest post, a few other things. But their other big thing was they had curated over the mm. years in the industry, a list of indie bookshops, right? And contacts and addresses of those specific booksellers current booksellers at those indie bookshops and so you know tor seems pretty good at getting books into barnes and noble i don't know how good they are at getting into indie bookshops so this publicist bless their heart you know gave me that list of about 200 i think it was indie bookshops well they they handed it over to tor uh and me and said hey we want to get finished copies out to these bookstores in lieu of physical arcs that didn't go out because we know that physical copies make a difference in terms of you know getting attention and i said i will pay for those books i will i will pay for them i'll even pay shipping i just want you guys to send it out because it needs to look legit and i wrote a letter uh you know this publicist the, again third party publicist had me write a letter as is pretty common to go uh, with those books, like would like would go out with an arc because Tor had a bookseller letter. Like yeah, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tor said no, so 
you know, they went to the public or the the uh, mar uh, marketing director or something like that, publicity director. I don't know. They did the old "my wife says no" trick, uh, and <laughs> my wife won't let me. Right? My boss won't let me. And so they said no. And that's when I really knew that things were gonna go south. And I got my book was put on Edelweiss and um, NetGalley. And a few people found it through there. I sent out finished copies of my own. So like I got my author copies and then I bought a box of books as well to send out. So I sent out, I've probably sent out 30, 40, 50 books to date with varying degrees of, of success. Like most of them got it and did like a little post of, oh, I got this cool book. And then they, you know, threw it in a box in their back room and never looked at oh. it again. Um, a few, I've gotten a few reviews uh, that way though, and several of them have been very kind and, and very good, and I, I wouldn't have got those otherwise. So long story short, that is, <laughs> that's my experience with ARCs is uh, not getting them. And to anyone listening that's you know up and coming in the industry, I would push very hard for ARCs, and I would push very hard to understand exactly where those arcs are going and especially look at places they could go that might multiply sales, right? If that person likes your book and they might not, that's the other risk uh, mm -hmm. you run. But if that person likes your book, it could turn into a whole lot more sales. So that's booksellers who are day in, day out selling books, uh, big influencers, etc. But I feel like you should talk about that because you actually had that happen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh man I guess okay the thing I'm gonna say before I get into this is my main point here is please don't crucify me but also if your publisher tells you and I've heard publishers say this that arcs don't matter I'm not gonna say that they're lying but I will tell you that I don't agree and that I don't think that the people in charge of my marketing and publicity would agree either or they wouldn't have sent so many so <laughs> Um, I mean, you'll, we'll hear about it more, but basically when Robin and Michael Sullivan's episode drop, they talk a lot about how uh, Robin listed the, what she thinks is the key to success, write a good book, and then she defines what that means, and get it in front of some people who will like it, and wash, rinse, repeat. And it sounds simple, but I do agree with her. I think when you know your audience, you find your audience, you get the book to them, you hope a small percentage of them will push that book to other people. That's what ARCs do. That's what publishers do. That's how they work. They sell their books to booksellers. And if you get 10 booksellers to love a book, they each sell 10 copies. You've sold 100 books by convincing 10 people to love it. That's, But that's hard to do if you're a debut. So that's why ARCs are important. So I said in an earlier episode that I didn't know how many ARCs I had. Um, and that and I completely forgot to come back to that in that episode and say that I can guess, which is like a massively important bit. So this is going to be long. Uh, <laughs> we started out with print galleys. Print galleys are the bound versions of your manuscript. Those are not easy to get. I know that my editor pushed for them and we were lucky to get them, especially during COVID 2020. I don't know how many went out, but basically these were sent out to like yeah, James Rollins, Shannon McGuire, a bunch of booksellers who were handpicked, right? So that's the main thing. Your publicity team go through and they pick people who they think will like this book because they don't want to send it out and have someone come back and be like, oh, this was garbage, right? Because that defeats the point of buzz. After that, we then started with the arcs and the arcs were 
again, you know, they have a soft copy. They're kind of like cheap paperbacks in quality. I got ARCs from Tor, first of all. Uh, they said, how many do you want? And then they said, well, we can only give you 11. When I said I wasn't sure, I was like, okay. And then they sent me 15 anyway. So I think they just filled the box because it filled the box. And I got 25 from Harper, I think. And so my UK, my American ARCs look different. I shifted all of those. I, I, I was, you know, as the buzz was building and booksellers and reviewers were looking for ARCs, if they weren't getting them off NetGalley, I was reaching out on social media saying, hey, give me your address, I'll post it. I spent $300 in postage that year and I don't regret it. Um, in addition to that, Tor ran a Goodreads giveaway, which I'm going to get into in a minute because Goodreads is really important. They gave away 50 print ARCs in that giveaway. They ran a second giveaway later that gave away 50 print copies. Book Eaters was also a feature title in something called Shelf Awareness. If you don't know what Shelf Awareness is, look it up. It's basically an industry newsletter that goes out to about 450,000 people. So when I tell you in later episodes that I don't think my, my lack of social media made a difference, that's why. I will never have a newsletter that has half a million people on it, right? So, uh, and on top of that, you know, there were about 200 ARCs, I think, mailed to indie booksellers. I don't even know how many went out in white box mailing. I know that 450 stores are on that list. I don't know if they all got an ARC or if some of them got an ARC or what went on with that. And that was the American side. <laughs> on the UK side, I went through two of those 25 ARC boxes. Uh, one I gave out myself and then one closer to time, Harper came out and they're like, right, we have this publicity thing we're doing where we want you to take cake pops shaped like your book because it's book eaters. You're going to eat the book, right? go around to stores. Do you have any ARCs left to do this? I was like, no, I used them all. So they sent me another box. And then they were handing it out like candy. I mean, they were just like throwing ARCs at people. They had custom bookmarks, which I've never seen one of. I don't know how many ARCs went out. If I had to guess, it would be low estimate 700 at least. Another lead debut friend of ours said that they got approximately that many. They yeah. estimated a thousand. Yeah, I a would, thousand ARCs were I would given say, out for their book. I would say 700 to 1,000 is the ballpark estimate for ARCs that were given and out. That, and that's physical ARCs, yes. right? That's not NetGalley. That's not that's oh, no. not eARCs that were available elsewhere, right? Yeah. And that doesn't count the uh, audio ARCs as well. I know Libro FM did a, a giveaway with, it, I think it was like 50 downloads that they gave away of Book Eaters. Um, the, the, I remember an article came out from Waterstones at one point, which said oh, everyone is talking about this new word of mouth sensation, book eaters, and it just made me laugh out loud. Once in a blue moon, there is a book that organically gets word of mouth support despite having no budget and no push, but you're talking about like Fifty Shades of Grey, like that's your once in a blue moon, right? Well, and I, I think, so we're talking to Nick Eames tomorrow, and yeah. I think his his book kind of fell in that category, oh, yeah. maybe, you know. Maybe not zero to hero all the way, but uh, you know, I I know he's mentioned that. Yeah, it and but I think it basically it doesn't happen without push, and at a very basic level, there the word cannot mouth unless yeah. it has a, yeah, a book yeah. to mouth about. That that's a really terrible metaphor. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, no, I mean, yeah, it has to hit a certain number of people to get that because. And this is something I've thought a lot about, you know, stressing about reviews and Goodreads reviews and stuff over the last year plus. It really doesn't matter. And looking at other books that have sold a shit ton of books and seeing widely varying um, Goodreads scores for that and realizing that Goodreads scores don't matter for shit. 
what really matters is finding enough of those people who really love your book. It, it doesn't matter how mm. many bad reviews you get in the meantime, you have to find that, you know, population of people who love your book. And unless it gets to a certain number of people total, and it'd be even better if it were targeted, but unless it gets to a certain yeah. number of people total, yeah, you're, you're just never, ever going to have meaningful momentum. And I remember there's something Richard said where he's talked about his editor saying, we can't push a book forever. They push it to try and generate word of mouth. And if it doesn't self-sustain, then they drop you like a sack of shit, I think was his phrase. Uh, so, but yeah. they try, you know, the, it, for the lead titles, they're trying to get that word of mouth to happen. And then once it does, it just kind of runs and builds itself. But it's really difficult yeah. for, for it to happen without somebody, without the right people excited. Uh, usually that starts with yeah. your editor and that feeds to the marketing team, which feeds to the booksellers. The, if the right people are excited, it will sell. So even though like my rating on Goodreads, it's not very good, but the right people were excited about it that enough people keep trying it, <laughs> I guess. I mean, the score, the scores that are out there, whether it's Goodreads or Amazon or, or whatever else can be indicative of so many different things. It's not just cut and dry. Is this good? Is this not? Yeah. It's, did it hit the right people who yeah. like this book? You know, like uh, your your main character is, is your main character's a, a <laughs> lesbian, right? <laughs> no, is that too much of a spoiler? That's gonna that's gonna piss off a lot of people. A lot of people are gonna hate it just for that. Yeah, my parents. You know? And <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly, and <laughs> and. You know, in, in your book, uh, the parent-child relationship isn't like this sparkling, happy thing all the time, right? It's really an exploration of a pretty fucking dark scenario. Well, that's the same thing for Imrail. I think the same. there's something going on there with Imrail with readers who are not willing to wait for a character to grow yeah. up, oh, yeah. I guess, <laughs> um, and to follow that arc anymore. <laughs> I know you've suffered from some reviews from learned, that. Learned that the hard um, way, yeah. No, no, it's fine. They're always good interruptions. Uh, I was just going to say that I, I felt like I could measure the buzz because I don't trust anything. I didn't. I, I guess in my life, I feel like every time something good has started to happen, something bad has come around to knock it down. So I just did not trust all the good fortune. So I was keeping an eye on stuff, and I found that Goodreads was actually a really interesting thing to study. Uh, if you're some kind of autistic obsessive like I am, I spent ages looking at books in my debut year and books in previous couple of years that had come out on Goodreads and what I found is that books that basically were lead titles and were hitting list reliably had about 35,000 two reads yeah. on their Goodread profile and that this was like a thing it was fairly consistent and other books kind of fell in between that and there was a lot of variance but it's like 35 to 40,000 means you're probably going to hit some at least at least on the UK side when you come out for our genre I feel I feel like um so I was keeping track of that I was tracking Edelweiss if you are worried about whether booksellers are even finding your book Edelweiss will let you know you can look on your book's profile and it just lists like how many comments. The comments are basically reviews, like reviews that your book has. And I was like watching that tick up and I was tracking it month by month. I was keeping track of other books at, like a few months ahead or behind mine because I'm definitely not a sad obsessive. And just because I was terrified that it wouldn't pan out and all the signs were good. Yeah. Um, but that's also how like when I was looking at yours, I was like, 
it's not getting any books on my yeah. movement. This guy's getting yep. hosed, which is why I started like guiltily sharing all your Twitter posts and things. Because I felt really bad. Oh God. Well, thank you for taking pity on me. Hey. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean. But you can tell. You can tell when they're not spending yeah. the money on it. I mean, so we like we had a question. Someone asking like what to pub spend on narrators and covers, right? And yeah. the thing is, this is very tied to your status with the publisher. And the answer is, it varies. Yeah narrators i think michael mama is telling us narrators vary from 200 to 1000 per hour and that's assuming you don't get a celebrity if you get a celebrity my god i don't even know how much that per would cost hour. yeah yeah for for a cover artist the sky is the limit i mean there are people who are basically getting clip art book covers when i say she's well known like her work appears on arts art syllabuses in high schools here and she she does like paper art where she cuts up books and makes into shapes which is what the cover of book eaters is and like she posed she took a photo with her daughter and then she made that photo into a cutout and she cut it out using books that are referenced in my novel and then you know back and forth a tour on the lighting and the positioning and then a photographer comes in takes the pictures like jesus fuck they spent so much on they must have spent so much on this cover like more money than i'd ever had in my life was probably spent on this cover because um, at the time, it only ever had about like two grand in my account ever. So it was like, I don't, I didn't ask them, I don't know. But the point is like, it really varies. And it varies depending on what your publisher is willing to do. Uh, I know that, was it David Dalgleish? I remember watching an Orbit video, how they actually did like a live action photo shoot for his covers. It was really cool. <laughs> it's on it's on YouTube. You can look at it. And they, they photograph this guy dressed as an assassin jumping in the air with, <laughs> with plays. It's yeah, great. And one thing I keep coming back to is just, uh, you know, uh, all the signals I got that, oh, maybe Tor actually cares about this. And yeah. then, oh, maybe they don't, right? I, um, like them fighting very hard for the title Rise of the Mages uh, instead of the title mm. I had and I liked that was just ire. I thought it was a sign of them wanting to push it and knowing what would hit the market well and, and whatever else, right? Because they were very adamant on that. But I mean, I saw all the same things you did, right? I saw, you know, on Edelweiss, I saw that I ha I still, to this day, I think have like five people from the bookselling community that bothered to, to review it. And I, I, I mentioned all the thing. Oh, one more thing I didn't get is like, you know, books they care about get those graphics where they, they put yes. together like all your quotes and like all your blurbs. And they have like a, a, a little thing that uh, they put together to incentivize basically just to get people to look at it and, and to make it easier for booksellers to look at something and quickly determine whether they care. about And how hard they book, try right? to get you blurbs as well. That really varies. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But... Uh, I, to be fair, I, I didn't mention the things that I did get. So when they mentioned that, well, when they told me no to, to me buying and, and sending out finished uh, copies to booksellers, which I probably should have just done myself. But uh, at that point, I... It's hard. I, I you don't know. Got, yeah, I got a little bit... Well, yeah, I, I, I got a bit depressed about how <laughs> things were going at that point, And I had some other shit going on in my life at that point, right? So, but... Uh, they did say that they were going to send the the bookseller letter out to their own list of bookstores that they ha they keep mm -hmm. in contact with, which I wasn't given that list. I don't know if it cross-referenced well with the indies list that my own publicist had. But they sent out my bookseller letter in an email and an invite to go 
download the book on NetGalley. Whether that worked uh, and did anything, I don't know. It, they at least presumably did that. They did do a, give, a Goodreads giveaway of finished copies. I don't remember if it was 25 or 50, but it was a, it was a decent giveaway. So I'm, uh, you know, they did do that. They got me, I think, two Tor Forge blogs. So I got my excerpt put up maybe at the same time as my map reveal. Mm -hmm. And then I, I think I had another one. I can't remember. Uh, no, th that was the two, the excerpt and the map reveal that had a blog uh, to go with it. And then like two or three social media posts and they inexplicably bought a light speed ad for my book just for like the few days around launch that was at like the bottom left of the Lightspeed homepage. So those are th those are the things I did get, and I did have a a blog post on Scalzi's blog, but that's about it. And they and they subbed to trades at least some trades. I don't know which ones, but they subbed to some trades. I I think they subbed to all of them. I don't know if they have a method of making them pay attention to them more. Um, I mean, I will quickly say on trades, like if you get the trade reviews, it's good. And if you get a starred one, it's good because booksellers do pay attention to those. So it does boost sales. It does increase things like getting backing from, say, Junior Library Guild, which happened for book eaters. You know, you get. But if you don't get them, it do, it's not going to tank the book either. Yeah. Most books don't get them. Yeah. I think I got one uh, from like Midwest Book Review or something I had never <laughs> heard of. But it's like it, it, it's targeted yeah. straight at libraries and. As far and we we're gonna get into our estimated sales, I guess, right? At some point, and I sus yeah. I suspect that a, a big portion of the sales that were unexpected on my end uh, came from the library scene. So whether it was that trade review that you know was very very mm -hmm. positive, or whether it was some you know sales rep that happened yeah. to really like my cover or something <laughs> and sell it really yeah, hard. I, I mean, if, if you're ranking them, Publishers Weekly is probably the most helpful because if you get a, say, starred review in Publishers Weekly, there's basically a section in, in, in every edition <laughs> of PW, which is like, here are all the books that have a star. If you're a busy bookseller, you're going to just look at that section and be like, right, we're going to get the interesting ones <laughs> just have a start you know it shortcuts things yeah. but other books do get bought and it, it doesn't <laughs> like if you get hosed by review it didn't seem to matter too much um yeah did you get a star from publisher weekly i, think I don't I got a star from everywhere except kirkus don't kill god me. I'm damn so sorry. Sorry. Good for you <laughs> what you don't need to be sorry for this sunny that's fantastic that's amazing i didn't and in fact the, like it was actually a nice review. I remember from, I remember Publishers Weekly specifically because it was actually a quite nice review if you read it. But they led with a, a joke, a quip about it being a plural title, even though it's about uh, primarily one character, one mage, even though it's Rise of the Mages. And I was like, really, man? That's like that's what you, <laughs> what you decide to critique up front is is the title that I didn't even get to choose. <laughs> <laughs> It's a yeah, crapshoot. Yeah. Um, I mean, one of our friends, you know, or like her publisher's weekly review had the plot wrong when they summarized it and they gave away spoilers. <laughs> it was like, it, like, you don't know who's reading these reviews. You don't know who's writing them. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, but I, I will. Reading. Yeah, we're reading them. I, I will say so for like the Goodread stuff, just to, to briefly wrap up something on that. Yeah. Your publisher, or at least my publisher, did pay attention to those numbers. I know that they were pay they were paying attention to how many people entered the giveaways, so they're watching. Um, 
they do pay attention to, to the two reads because if you ever wondered how books get added to lists or to Goodreads articles where they're showcased or to Goodreads Choice Awards at the end of the year, your two reads ads are a big contributing factor to that as far as I can tell. Yeah. Someone is going through it going, so, you know, like Book Eaters is on like some of these most anticipated books, whatever, for Goodreads list. How do they get those? Well, they go through it and they go, well, these books all have above, I don't know, 10K to to read ads. Yeah. So, Actually, know, it, and it just builds, uh, isn't it? It's cyclical. It kind of all builds on itself. Yeah, I have a question for you there, actually. Yeah. So, the only thing I saw with my book that that reliably increased the two reads numbers um, on Goodreads was Goodreads giveaways. So, I saw it at launch so they did a, a giveaway at launch and then they did a giveaway when my paper book uh, paperback uh, copy of the book came out um and each time i got like i don't know somewhere in the ballpark of like three thousand two reads and that's the vast majority of my 7500 total but nothing other than the goodreads giveaways seem to budge that number did you see anything that uh made a difference in in your numbers to get it above that you know 35 40k that you mentioned earlier uh yes because i'm obsessive and sad so i i did actually track the spikes in ads so <laughs> i mentioned like the the newsletter one that spiked it when it went up to kind of shelf glow with its 440k subscribers there was a spike there oh yeah, um, yeah i would imagine yeah and then, but because they, they stagger, right? They planned it so that by the time they did the good reads giveaway, there was a lot of buzz, and everyone who enters a giveaway gets added to your two reads automatically. So my first giveaway ended up with like nineteen thousand people requesting, which blew my Jesus. mind because yeah. my partner went to a Red Hot Chili Peppers concert last year that had fifteen thousand people, and he sent me pictures, and it made me feel ill. So <laughs> the idea of that many people requesting my book also made me feel ill in a good way, I guess. Um, yeah, so the Goodreads ones are big. Big authors doing shout-outs was a huge one. Uh, V.E. Schwab oh, yeah. was sent a copy by Harper, which kind of had me panicking a bit. And I think she put it on her Instagram story a couple of times. Every time she did, it spiked the ads. Uh, when she blurbed it, it spiked. When Shannon McGuire tweeted about my book early, it spiked. When... Tor did the big announcements at Spike, so stuff like that. And then I think when they were doing the waves of arcs, it would just kind of pick up. Um, and I guess the Illumicrate thing was huge as well. The Illumicrate one gets yeah. a lot of people adding it because they're all like, oh, right, it's going to be out in this month. And, and then they all add it because they're expecting to get it. So right. it's lots of different things, which, which is what it comes down to, right? It was like when pubs are trying to put the effort in, they just, they try everything. They just throw all the things at the wall and they hope some of them stick. They hope as many of them as possible stick <laughs> rather than spreading those resources a bit among books. So, I mean, we've, we've talked a bit about what, you know, we did and didn't get what we think may have made an impact and not, we had planned to kind of talk about how that translated into sales, mm. at, at least our best estimates of sales, right? Mm -hmm. do, do we want to get into that still? Feel free. Oh, good. Your editor can, yeah, they can run a sales report. But I'm told, so yeah, there's a few different things, right? Like, so via Amazon, you can create an author account and you have access to book scan numbers for your book there. 
you can get an author report from your editor or some imprints seem to have portals for their authors like uh didn't mike say harper has one for him the the issue is even the reports that you know tour editors are running for their authors they know that it doesn't include certain institutional buys in particular um so library purchases whatever else but they also like bookscan uh admit up front that their numbers are probably only about 80 percent correct and they they tend to say uh or at least claim that they're 80 percent of the projected total ish but it could go either way so I got my royalty statement, my first royalty statement from Tor, and out of all the things that might get me uh, slapped by my publisher on this podcast, I'd guess this is close to it, but I'm going to talk to it anyway. Via BookScan and the author reports that I had gotten infrequently uh, through my agent and through Tor, it I, I had reason to believe that I probably had somewhere in the ballpark of like 3,000 sales between hardcover and ebook, which is like, well, that's that's probably 3,000 more than I would have gotten if I had gone indie, but, you know, 3,000 is certainly a far cry from where I had hoped to be and, and why I got into this business. But um, I got this uh, royalty statement that's for the period ending June 2022, so this would have been just for the first almost five months i guess the royalty statement shows that they shipped somewhere around uh, 8100 books 8100 hard copies we had just under 2800 returns by the end of june so by from february 8th to the end of june bookstores had given up on 2,800 copies. Now, Tor more or less, and publishers, as far as I can tell, more or less uh, accept that period, and then they, they apply a reserve against returns beyond that to account for future returns, and I'm expecting more returns to come in beyond that, especially I think bookstores probably returned my hardcover uh, when the paperback came out. Per our discussion with JT and his bookseller friends from Auntie's, there, it seems like there are probably pretty different periods for when different bookstores return things. Um, but especially at Barnes & Noble, you know, I've checked periodically and it seems mm -hmm. like they have my hardcover in stock or had my hardcover in stock at a lot of stores up to that point. So I might not actually know my real sales until not even this next period. I probably won't know until the one after that that we get in like September that is for ending June 2023. But per the royalty statement that I have, they're estimating that we have just over 5,100 okay. sales of hardcover and just over and 563 ebook uh, sales f through those first five months, which is pretty decent. And so my sales per the royalty statement are about double what other sources of information were telling me, which was a surprise to the upside. So that was good. Uh, something good must have happened, whether it's an actual sale or even just, uh, you know, bookstores keeping my book uh, on shelves longer than planned for whatever reason. Now, they did apply a $5,900 reserve against returns, 
which more or less equates to them saying we think that another 2,000 books might be returned. But even with that reserve against returns, they're saying that 3,000-ish hardcovers is a safe number uh, per their accounting folks that they think will have sold through that June 2022 period. So better than I thought uh, I'd be getting, and I'm told by people that those numbers, especially if the 5,000-plus sales uh, of hardcover in the first six months, first year, ends up being the truth, that that's actually a pretty good number. My agent was pretty stoked about that. You know, other other people I've talked to have said, yeah, that's actually not bad, especially for not getting a whole lot of push up front, right, with, with the debut release. But it's certainly <laughs> not in the same ballpark of, of what happened for you, right? So I, I'm not sure. It's, oh, man. These conversations are so awkward. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, you don't have to share anything you don't want to. No, no, Let, that... Let's say that up front. But it's not awkward for me because and, and I'll uh, I can I can make it awkward the other way uh, after if you want. <laughs> no, that's fine. Um, so I don't have royalty statements. And if you're a Macmillan author, you don't have you don't have any access to your sales other than what your editor gives you. I will say that you can request figures from your editor. They usually know within a couple of weeks, at least on their side, what their figures are accurate or not, I don't know. Right, we'll talk about the US side first. The US side, I think the last time I checked in with my editor in February, I was round about, they think, 30K for the US side, which I'm really happy with and yeah. Tor was very happy with. So on the UK side, I know both more and less than I do about the American side. And that's because I haven't really had any sales figures at all from Harper, aside from the first week and some of the promos they, they've done. And I have a general sense from booksellers that it's selling well, but of course that's not the same as a hard figure. But I will share what I know. So I'm gonna start off by saying my UK side overperforms significantly. I attribute that to the fact that Harper are a marketing machine who have every part of the book market just sewn up from top to bottom and a great deal of luck and the fact that it's a book set in England and that attracts English people because we love to navel gaze. Uh, my UK book deal, for those who don't remember the details or who are joining the podcast for the first time, um, my UK deal was £35,000 for three books, which is about 15% of the American deal, which was 300k for yeah. three books. Uh, that's about <laughs> standard for a smaller territory like the, U the UK. And generally, if you are lucky enough to have your rights split across North America and the UK territories, your UK territory will sell for 12 to 15% of the USA one, usually. And that's just because our country is a lot smaller than America, right? So there's less people and there's less of a market, although the market that's <laughs> here is solid. So bearing that in mind, you know, Harper offered me a deal that was appropriate for the situation. Book eaters did overperform, um, largely yeah. due to the crates. <laughs> and I know that it overperformed because I received a royalty check earlier this week, which means that I have earned out my entire trilogy on just book eater sales alone. Um, and I've done so within the first six months of launch, which staggered me. I wasn't expecting it because I hadn't received sales data. 
Uh, I know that for the first week, Book Eater sold about 5,500 in, in pre-orders and a little bit on the, the special edition. Some of them were counted into that. Um, and then in total, there were about 22,000 various special editions, crate editions floating around that we managed to get the book into. Um, and those all came out round about September. Although I don't have a royalty statement yet, and I won't get one for another few weeks, uh, despite being paid royalties, which is really odd, I would yeah. estimate that the Book Eaters has shifted at least 30k copies or so in the UK. And that means my best guess for my sales in North America and UK Commonwealth territories combined is about 60k copies. And, and the thing that I really want to point out here is the ratio of difference between my sales and Scott's versus the ratio of difference between my advance and Scott's. So Scott's advance was 30k for three books. On the US side, my advance was 300k for three books plus the UK side, and he didn't get a UK separate deal, right? So that, that's a ratio of one to 10. And his his estimated sales, so far as we know at the moment, are about 6k, 6,000 copies shifted. My estimated sales, conservatively are about 60,000 copies shifted. Wow. Again, that's a ratio of one to 10. And obviously there are a lot of factors there and we'll, that that data is not fully accurate, but it is really stark how closely our advanced sizes are reflected in our sales sizes. And that's because advances that are bigger tend to come with a lot more marketing push that are proportional to the amount of money your book was purchased for. Uh, and obviously there will always be exceptions. There'll be the books bought for a lot that sell less than hoped, and there'll be books bought for a conser more conservative deal, which sell really well. But certainly in, in our particular example, you can really see the correlation between marketing spend and sales and how much they're linked, which is one of the main things I really just want to, to drill in for people. Even with all factors considered, there is a relationship between publisher spending and how a book performs. So all, all of those things kind of folded in and basically it, it doesn't always go that way. I do have friends that had bigger advances than mine or similar advances and they either ran into COVID or they had bad luck or they didn't get the independent gatekeeper support and their books just underperformed relative to what the publishers were hoping for. Um, it, it's so fickle, you know, I had this real sense actually that, that Harper was kind of, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, maybe they'll get angry at me for saying this. I just had the sense that they're kind of waiting to see how the tiles yeah. fell, that they weren't sure how the book would go, whether it would actually hit those markets and that when it did, you know, they pivoted towards it and at least they did. Um, and the other thing I, I guess I would say is that uh, for those who don't know, in the UK, we had a big issue with stock in, in the summer of 2022. Uh, our equivalent of Barnes and Nobles, which is called Waterstones, bought this other chain bookstore called Blackwells. And when they did that, they tried to integrate the IT system and it went tits up, like really tits up. Nothing was working. Booksellers couldn't order books. Books weren't getting distributed. Their books rotting in these like warehouses. Harper, so actually I didn't have a book launch and I'm glad I didn't. I had no books in stores when I launched in the UK, even though I hit the Sunday Times list at number two and I had I didn't have books That's crazy. in stores, except in London. Yeah, it was based yeah. on pre-orders, isn't it? And then, yeah, uh, what Harper was having to do is like order the books manually through this one store in London and then ship them out or something insane, which they're not set up to do. They're a publisher, not a bookstore. So 
it's nice that they did that. They did eventually get my books into stores. They did a good job because this problem went from like June 2022 to Christmas and beyond. Um, and that's nice that they did that. And I was really grateful. But they're not set up to do that and they didn't, publishers can't do that for every book. So there were people who debuted or published a book in the summer of 2022 here and they just never got into stores. Um, so I guess, you know, one of, one of the many other factors in your success is like, you know, if you're a lead title, it's not just about what your publisher does right, but what they're willing and able to do for you when things yeah. go wrong. Uh, and they, my book could have actually tanked in the UK because that happened, but Harper was scrambling to make sure it was there. Uh, you know that it was it, it was in stock and and there are other titles too like Babel there was no shortage of Babel titles in bookstores but they were making sure that they were there and that they're getting delivered yeah it, it all goes back to what we talked about with Clay uh, you know the whole mid-list versus uh, mm. mid-size or smaller publisher kind of thing it matters to have your publisher and your editor in particular care about your book right on an individual yes. level and go that extra mile because in publishing it seems like there are a hundred different things that can tank you and very few that can uh, reliably make you successful so yeah it matters I, th I think your relationship with your editor is probably the most important one yeah. you have in publishing because you know if your book tanks and editors expire you then that can make a difference yeah I and I mean we've we've talked about this at length but it is my belief that there are, well, there are two components, right? One is fit with your editor because all throughout the process, like it matters if, uh, if they get what you're trying to do, right? And if they like what you're writing because they'll be able to help you edit it uh, in the direction you're trying to go and for the market you're trying to hit, uh, meaning like the readers that you think will, will like it. Uh, otherwise, you do run the, a real risk of doing what you you talked about earlier. You know, shooting for many different tastes, many different markets, and missing all of them, right? But I think there's also this phenomenon that I didn't understand and until really pretty recently, and that is there seem to be a handful. I'm not even going to try to put a number to it, but a handful of rock star editors, even at these big five publishers, right? A handful of editors who have the power or clout or whatever you want to call it within within the publishers. So this goes beyond taste, right? And this goes beyond subbing to, to an editor based on taste. But there, there are a handful who really just do pump out successful book after successful book. And I think the give a shit factor is a big one, right? They they just take a book and they and an author and they believe in it and they believe in the person and they, you know, help make it an awesome book and they help it go through launch and they help it get all the attention it needs internally and externally. Um, but there's got to be something else at play too because it is absolutely wild. And my maybe my biggest piece of advice for authors that are querying and that are on sub or about to go on sub, et cetera, is to have very honest conversations with your editor, or I'm sorry, with your agent about the editors that are being submitted to and whether your agent thinks that they have a solid track record of success and 
you know, in particular success with your kind of book, but mm -hmm. a solid track record of success, right? Because now that I'm a little deeper in to, to the business and I've talked to a, a bunch of different authors and, you know, I, I've, I've learned a lot through you and through our friends in our group, et cetera. I mean, there are a lot of editors out there who edit even big names that you've heard of, but their, their track record is just not great, right? They have a track record of either launching authors into uh, oblivion and they're never heard from again, or, you know, their best case scenario tends to be somebody, even if somebody hits a, you know, a New York times list or something like that. Uh, once they tend to trend downward into mid list and, and that's kind of their uh, stable maximum, if you will, for any given editor. But then there are editors like your editor who repeatably, right? So first, it, uh, yeah. well, do do can I give away a particular secret? I mean, it's not secrets, but uh, are you comfortable with me uh, tooting her horn, so to yeah, speak? Yeah, I, I want Lindsay to get a Hugo. <laughs> okay, okay. So your editor in particular, Lindsay Hall, right? She first at uh, Orbit and now at Tor just has absolute banger after banger like she had i don't even know who she had at orbit other than nick eames but he's like oh yeah we we have the same editor and it's like holy fuck has she not edited one of these books that just blew up and then it tore it's rj barker yeah yeah, yeah. rj barker melissa crusoe uh yeah at chris nick eames uh christopher buhlman which is black tongue thief mm -hmm. Uh, oh, I don't know. A.K. Larkwood, oh. Annalie Newitz, um, our Travis Baldry, Loves and Lattes, yep. uh, Livy Blake, Atlas Six. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's loads. There's loads. Yes. So, <laughs> anyway, uh, my my point is, it matters what editor you land with, and. We're going to have a whole bunch of agents subbing to Lindsay after this, probably, and hopefully. Um, <laughs> but ho and, and hopefully she's not the only one who has this kind of track record, right? But that is a conversation you should have mm -hmm. with uh, your agent and with any friends that you, you can have this conversation with is at any given imprint that you're submitting to, because you should be submitting to all of them. The only way to get money is to get yeah. interest from multiple houses or trick a house into thinking that you're going to get interest from multiple houses but beyond that you should be well aware of who these editors are and whether they have that track record of success because it's not enough just to get into a big five and also their policy i think on books in general because one of the things that that um, was told to me about harper voyager uk side i don't know about the us side but on the uk side is that they had made a policy change basically they acquire less titles, but the titles they acquire, they try and put more money into to make each one a success. Yeah. And I think that's really working for them. Like I see a lot of Harper UK titles hitting list. I mean, just talking about good editors, Vicky Leach is my UK editor. She gets a lot of titles that are just, just, just flying off, you know, they launch well and they, they do well. Yeah. And I think that's no accident either. Um, that that strategy is working for them. It sounds so simple, acquire less, invest more, but it's not that common. Yeah, we can we can hypothesize maybe on another episode about why publishers are acquiring books that they then don't support. 
Um, oh no, I, I, I can give that theory. Print Run's yeah, already said go. it. Yeah, sure. Okay. The, the theory is that basically it doesn't really matter if Midlist makes money because they are, Midlist picks are effectively like an aesthetic or a mood board for a publisher that they can function in that way. You know, a publisher can say, we publish these kinds of books in the way that, you know, you as an author might put out a mood board, say, this is the kind of vibe of my story. This is the vibe of our publisher. So Midlist almost functions as an advertisement for lead titles. That was Print Run's theory, not mine. So I, I claim no responsibility for revoicing it. Yes. And I, I've heard you say it. I've heard other industry hmm. professionals say it. And apparently it was on Print Run. So it's a known phenomenon. We see it happen. Right, because they keep publishers keep picking up books that they then punt into the sun and never hear from again. Right, so it's obviously happening, and this whole you know aesthetic thing it just didn't make sense to my business brain. So I had to think about it for a quite a long time, and I have a, a little bit um, less kind uh, theory behind it. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> Be- I mean, because because I mean, you could you could assume a level of incompetence because on the face of it, what picking up a whole bunch of these midlist books that don't do all that well does is it dilutes their brand, right? Like people know publishers for the big books that come out, and all these little books that come out, and they look like failures at least because you know nobody ever hears about them and. Uh, they sit on a shelf with the tour logo or whatever and, and never move. So at the very least, they're diluting their brand with booksellers, right? So the less <laughs> the less kind theory that makes sense to my business brain is that it's still worth it even with that brand dilution because they are effectively hitchhiking on authors' hopes, dreams, and efforts to push their own books in the midlist and debut midlist in particular and they're using that to basically boost their brand right so all the little scott drakefords that come out and say hey look at me i got published by by a big publisher and we spend years of our lives uh you know trying to drum up interest for it and and uh represent ourselves well and represent our publisher well that's good for them and apparently it's good enough for them to risk that brand dilution to pull attention away from the books they apparently actually care about. Might, ha- might have to cut that. <laughs> Probably not, though. No cuts here, right? <laughs> no cuts here. For better or worse. Yep. You've been listening to the Publishing Radio Podcast with Sunny Dean and Scott Drakeford. Tune in next time for more in-depth discussion on everything publishing industry. See you later.